0: November 15th, a brand new season of That's What She Did podcast. We'll be bringing you 10 inspiring women you probably don't already know. On this new season of the podcast, we're shining a light on women that are at the intersection of activism and storytelling. They're fearlessly using their art, expression, and personal narratives to change the world. You're going to hear from actors and playwrights poets and artists, filmmakers and authors. There are women unapologetically challenging the status quo, and you need to hear their stories. Prepare to be inspired. This season, our fourth, is going to be pure fire. You don't want to miss this. Find it wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, that's what she did Welcome back, Inspiration Junkies. It's me, Tangia Renee, your host. You're listening to season four, episode three, of That's What She Did podcast. Before we get started, I wanna say another thank you to all the listeners that are sliding into our DMs and sending emails telling us how much you love the show and the stories that are inspiring you the most. I always wanna hear suggestions from our listeners about who we should be featuring on this show. If you should be featured or you know someone that should, Want to know all about it, please send me an email to that's what she did podcast at gmail.com and let me know why. In the meantime, the best way that you can support this show is by hitting the subscribe button and giving us a share. Share on your social media, share with your friends and family, let them know that they should be listening to and why, because this is the place to go to for women and inspiration and greatness, and they should be here with us. This week I have an incredible guest for you bringing you Shireen. Lani Younis. Shireen is a Syrian-American director, filmmaker, artist, and writer. As a filmmaker, she writes, directs, produces, and shoots short films and music videos, collaborating with musicians, filmmakers, and comedians to creatively push the boundaries of cinema and herself, committed to expressing honest and courageous work. Her work has been featured at Sundance, NextFest, The MoMA, Popular TV, No Budge, and Nighthawk Cinema. Her film Fall premiered at the Museum of Modern Art in New York in July 2018 in collaboration with The Future of Film is Female. She also co-hosts the podcast Ethnically Ambiguous, delving into the experience of people of color while raising awareness about significant world news. She's here with us this week to discuss the intersection of activism and storytelling and her particular brand of storytelling and how she uses it as a medium to reach and support marginalized people. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. And again, don't forget to give us a share and let us know how you think we're doing sending that email. Now let's jump in and let's get started. Welcome to the show, Shireen. I'm so excited to have you here. So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am honored (laughs) to be considered uh, on this podcast, but I'm honored to be a guest. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. No, I'm I'm honored to have you. Uh, You and I kind of met, I don't remember how we met beyond podcast movement. We never met before that. I don't remember how Exactly. I learned about your podcast, Ethnically Ambiguous, but I don't know if it was recommended to me or I came across it by accident. Um, But I saw the title, Ethnically Ambiguous, and I was like, I too am ethnically Mm -hmm. ambiguous. (laughs) This clearly is something I should be listening to. And uh, I started listening to your show and was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't just about being a human who happens to not be easily put into a box ethnically it was it was Mm -hmm. definitely much deeper than that and um the the focus on middle eastern culture and politics and identity really resonated with me because my stepfather is saudi and so i was raised (laughs) in this you know international household with a a muslim saudi stepfather um and a american christian mother that's wild man. And, yeah it's wild <laughs> and all of the things that come along with that so um i really appreciate what you what you and your co-host anna are doing with ethnically ambiguous
1: thank you yeah uh, we um We just wanted to make a space for people that felt othered their whole lives, and the fact that you read the title and like connected with it is just like proof that like you don't have to be Syrian like I am to like understand like what it means to be ethnically ambiguous. Like I think uh, there's a common thread if you're a person of color or if you're a child of immigrants about always being marginalized or othered, and in my experience, always feeling like a complete weirdo or alien growing up. And so I think the podcast which is a way for us to kind of come together and make people that are just like us feel less alone. Um, and because I'm Syrian and my co-host is Iranian, we talk a lot about Middle Eastern politics that get misrepresented in the media and try to break down the stereotypes about the Middle East. And we always have guests on that are people of color and more, more, most likely than not a woman of color. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's been a cool journey with the podcast and like the the way that we met was through the podcast. So I think it's really allowed me to reach people that I would never have connected with otherwise. And I think it's a really powerful medium in that way, because I, I didn't really know a lot about podcasts until I had one, to be honest. Um, but it's a really therapeutic (laughs) way to connect with people.
0: Yeah. How how has the subject matter been received, do you think, by people outside of the Middle Eastern community? Well, maybe even, how has it been received in general, inside and outside of the Middle Eastern community? Because even though you you are from a Middle Eastern background, you are not the stereotypical Middle Eastern woman.
1: Yeah, um, I think there we have a couple different kinds of audience members. There's an audience member that really relates to who we are. They're like, I'm Lebanese. I grew up in America. I really, I I completely understand like being hairy and like, whatever, like all these struggles you felt as a (laughs) child growing up. And then we have uh, a lot of white listeners, honestly, that are like, I had no idea that this was going on. I had no idea. This was the reality. Thank you for, for broadening my horizons. Um, And the subject matter that we do talk about, as far as the news goes, is kind of uh, sensitive a lot of times. And we have, it's, it's emotionally very taxing to even talk about as hosts. And so I think a lot of our audience, um, there's a bit of like emotional fatigue that goes on or compassion fatigue. Um, so I think it's most for the most part, it's been pretty well received, but I do think it's still in a niche. I don't think it's ever going to be like the number one podcast in the world because not I mean, not a lot of people care about the Middle East. Yeah, it's it's a very pro like it's not. Um, I think I, I just think that as far as podcasts go, people don't want to just be bummed out every time they listen to a podcast. Like they don't want to hear about how how many people are dying in Palestine or how many how, how the civil war is going in Syria. So I think both Anna and I do battle this constant like trying to make it more digestible. And then we have episodes where it's more fun, where we call our parents and we talk about other things or we talk about being women or mental health. And so we try to break apart the subject matter we talk about. So it's not just like constant, just like sad news, sad news, sad news. And it's more just about we're living in this world. We're modern, just like you. We're not professors. We're not like completely intellectual people we're trying to understand the craziness of this reality just like you are and we're presenting it to you in hopefully a relatable way um and I do also think I I feel very privileged being raised in America and and being like a like a more I don't know like I have some survivor's guilt about being the American cousin and what that means in my family but I think that. Place of privilege really like pushes me to, con- to continue this kind of content because it is important. I think um, there's an episode where I interviewed some of my cousins that recently immigrated here as teenagers, and things like that where I, I'm able to give people a voice that didn't have one before, or maybe not even that didn't have one before, but people like someone in Arkansas maybe has never met a Syrian refugee, and so being able to talk talk to them and being able to to introduce this voice to a bigger audience is a huge privilege I'll never take for granted. And so I think ultimately over everything with the podcast, that's what I'd like to do is just shine a light on the voices that didn't really have a light before and maybe are misrepresented in the past and maybe are um, just struggling to be seen. So I'm, t- I'm, I'm rambling a lot, so you can cut me off at any time. No, no,
0: not at all. Not at all. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. You're not rambling. Um, so when you and I actually met in person, it was just, you know, this summer at the podcast movement. Uh, conference because I asked you to be on a panel I was moderating and that was specifically talking about women of color in the podcasting space. And as I shared with you uh, before today, that something you said that day made me think that for this show, when season four came back, I was like, oh, I have a great idea for season four's theme. Um, because I don't remember how the conversation went exactly, but one of the things you said on the panel is. The point that you were making is is that you know you you do this thing that you think is just going to be fun, and then you end up being an activist unintentionally because you're existing in a space where there's no representation and you become one of the few or the sole representation of whatever the identity is um, and that was I was like, yeah that's Mm-hmm. That's true. I just like you, I didn't really know anything about podcasting except for how to listen to one. When I started producing a podcast, and suddenly people were like, "Oh, you're you're an advocate for women." And I was like, right. "I am."
1: <laughs> yeah, it's I'm so glad that you you really took that point to heart because I'm it's so it's a little intimidating because Anna and I we didn't we couldn't find another podcast with people like us. like there's we couldn't even think of a podcast that had a Middle Eastern host, let alone a Middle Eastern woman hosting or two of them mm-hmm. for that matter. So we knew we there was a space that needed to be filled that needed to be filled, especially because podcasting is dominated by just white men. and uh, we knew there was a space for us to be filled, but we didn't really expect. This pressure—it's not—it's not not bad, and I and I and I still feel a lot of privilege with that that idea of being a voice for a Middle Eastern woman. But I'm not perfect, and I and it sometimes feels like I have to say everything right on the podcast because I am like maybe the only Syrian voice that someone's heard their whole life, or I'm the I'm the one that they know in public, or I'll get tweets about something happening in Syria constantly, or. Even my friends will will hear something about Syria and they'll be like they'll think of me, which is fine. I'm 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 happy to be that person. But there is, as far as being in the public eye and being Syrian or Middle Eastern or a person of color, being a person of color in the public eye and having a voice in in itself is a form of activism. And I'm not a podcaster like it's like full time. I'm a I'm a filmmaker. I'm an artist. I'm a poet. And even in those acts of expression which i think like any everything i do is just like it's a form of expression in some way um it still feels like i'm an activist because my voice is not heard that uh in, for, in the majority so i think truly just existing as a woman of color is a, an act of activism like it's, it's an act of rebellion just to be to exist and express yourself and i think I mean, I would love for that. I would love to eventually like move past that and not have it be so daunting of a of a thing. Um, but but at the same time, it's it's pretty powerful to be a woman of color and to have um, almost like your voice is a weapon. Is that is that too dramatic? I don't know. Uh, it does feel like a, a women podcasters of color like their voices can be used in a good way. At the same time, though, there are moments where I want to talk about silly things and I want to talk Mm -hmm. about, like, I don't know, things that aren't that heavy on the podcast and it feels like I'm doing a disservice for the people that are expecting me to always be uh, politically aware and politically conscious. So it's a double-edged sword, for sure. But Mm -hmm. um, I'm multidimensional and I can use my other work to express myself in other ways. And... um, I do find that when I'm, when I'm a guest on other podcasts, I tend to be more open personally for some reason. I, uh, there's more of a front on my podcast. Not for I'm not like hiding anything, but I think I'm just a little bit more aware of what my audience mm-hmm. might expect of me. So I don't know.
0: So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about, the intersection of activism and storytelling. You're a storyteller, you direct, produce, write film and and other, you know, in media and other forms of art. And I hadn't until very recently really started to think about how the two intersect, the idea of activism and storytelling. And in your role as, as a storyteller across various different mediums. What do you think is is so valuable about a story being something that could be used as a tool for activists?
1: I mean, I've always loved storytelling as a kid. Uh, It started with poetry and photography and I found filmmaking as this perfect marriage of those two things. Um, And filmmaking for me, I found to be almost like the perfect medium as far as stories go because especially in my generation because it feels like film is kind of the mouthpiece of our generation or this the the way that we communicate with with so many people it's how we learn things it's how we talk about things filmmaking is a huge part of our culture and I think I think being able to harness that tool and harness that that medium and use it for good as, as maybe a sort of tool for education, maybe a tool for even not even outright education, but it's a subtle form. And I think my favorite films are the films that aren't necessarily teaching you step-by-step step in a tutorial, like how to be a good person or how to learn about the world, but it's art that makes you really think and it sits with you for, for years and years. Um, and I think that's ultimately why I think storytelling, telling and art and, and everything, it's all connected as a way to to just give a voice to the voiceless. And I don't think every film is an act of of activism. I think there are tons of bad art out there, but but the existence of it is brave in itself. You know, it's and well personally, I mean this is I feel like in my in my early work the majority of my poetry and the majority of my filmmaking, I didn't really address address my Middle Easternness or even the fact that I was raised Muslim. Or mm-hmm. I almost felt like I didn't want that to define me. I didn't want to be just like the weird brown girl that was raised differently because that's why I always felt growing up. So I, in my er- early work, I talked about mental health a lot. I talked about um, just kind of... Uh, the deficiencies that I felt in my brain or my mental struggles because I felt like that was more humanizing me and not putting me in a box. And then this summer I made a very short film um, and it's a pretty political piece about immigration and stuff. And I'm submitting it to festivals right now, but it was the first time that I actually use my resources to make a statement about something that was really close to my heart. And I filmed it in my parents' house and my parents have furniture that we imported from Syria when I was a kid. And so it's very much like a a Middle Eastern film. And it really struck me that, and, and I showed it to my parents and my dad in particular, and he, it really affected him because he saw, he's, he finally understood what film could do. Cause he, there was a sense of pride that he felt when watching that film versus my other work or my other poetry or whatever, that I, I don't think I really expected. Um, it was like they, I wasn't ever ashamed of being Syrian or being Muslim. It was more just, I, I didn't know how to address those things without being emotionally uh, drained Um, because they're very hard for me to talk about. It's really hard for me to talk about Syria. It's really hard for me to talk about my family because it hurts not being able to go back to your home. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think making this film this summer really taught me that I can... Addressing all my identity and all parts of myself and addressing them in a way that can... And I think being Middle Eastern by default now and making something that's Middle Eastern will already be politically, it will be, it'll, it'll be taken in a political light regardless if I want it to. Um, if you see like a woman in a hijab in a film, you're already having an assumption of what that means. So I think mm-hmm. um, that gravity of, of meeting and the fact that I can, the fact that I have the tools to make something that I think can affect people especially with, like, the election coming up, and especially with with voices that are just saying all these things, I, I don't want to just ignore this place that I, the space that I take up as a Syrian woman. I think it's a very special space, and um, filmmaking as a form of activism doesn't necessarily have to be so direct. Uh, it just mm-hmm. needs to be, even if, I think a great example of this is, like, a narrative about dating, for example. And the main character is just a Middle Eastern girl. You never address that she's Middle Eastern. You never address that she's raised Muslim. Maybe her family is like eating different food at the dinner table, but it's, it's presented as normal. It's presented as like a normal way to live. It's not, it's not picked apart. It's not othered. Um, there are definitely spaces where it can be. There is like, a, if, if you want your film to about that that's great but I think what's even more poignant is making it normalized and making it not something always to be looked at strangely Um, because we've had so much of that our whole lives as others and um, yeah I think I think that's what I love about film and storytelling is that you're able to to present your 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 worldview in a digestible way, hopefully. Um, and I personally struggle with writing a lot recently. I'm trying to write a film about Syria right now and it's very hard. And I'm realizing it's hard because the way, the way I remember Syria and my memories are so sacred to me and trying to put that on paper and make it just as sacred to someone that has no idea what that means is really daunting. Um, but that form of expression is an act of activism in itself because my memories of syria are going to fade away eventually syria is crumbling to the ground and so mm-hmm. being able to preserve these memories and preserve my voice um, and have it live on in like this artistic space wherever that may be i think that in and of itself is a form of activism and my dad he convinced me to submit it to festivals the film i made this summer and he said, even, even if it doesn't get in anywhere, uh, people know you exist. Like people know that you're out there making stuff. Like they, they'll, they'll know your name and they'll see in the submissions and you're not going to just have it sit on your computer forever, even if it's not perfect. Uh, and I think it's a good point because you just have to remind people that you exist as a woman of color constantly, constantly. You just have to remind mm-hmm. people that you exist. And that's what the podcast is. It's, it's just reminding people that we're out here and we're just like you, and we're trying our best, Um, and so I think telling stories is a way to make your story um, have a place in the universe, because otherwise, it's just yours, and that's, that's perfectly fine, but I think as a creator and as an artist, I have this, like, gnawing inherent need to express myself, which is a little annoying sometimes because I feel like it's insufferable (laughs) as far as like my friends and family go. Um, But it's like, yeah, if I'm not making something, I'm like antsy, and I'm and I'm have a a need to make things, and um, that's what I admire about storytellers in general. Because I think they also have that same drive, and without them, we wouldn't have our stories represented. And um, for me, mm-hmm. in particular, as a Syrian woman, growing up, I didn't see a single Syrian woman on television. I didn't see a single Middle Eastern person, like, person I can relate to on television or behind or in front of the camera. So for me, that representation is a void that I feel a duty to at least try to fill. And I always think about this when I'm, like, feeling really unmotivated or down. I want to be the person I needed when I was younger. and. I want, like, baby Shireen or or toddler Shireen that was so confused and so sad and so lost to be able to look at, like, adult Shireen and be like, I can do this because there's someone just like me doing it. And so I think being true to your younger self and making that younger self proud um, and filling up a space for representation that is so lacking, I think that in and of itself is just Revolutionary, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that as we're aging and as we're growing up, there's more representation and everything, and I'm really happy about that. But there's still a very huge way to go. And mm-hmm. I'm still working on being the person that young me needed um, because it is really disparaging to be a young girl and feel like you're not, you don't really exist because you don't see yourself. And so above everything else, that's the kind of intention I would hope my work has Um, just it's, it's the same with the podcast, just making people feel less alone and making them feel like they are, they do exist and they do matter. um, Even if the world is trying to prove them otherwise. So that was my long TED talk. Thank you for coming.
0: Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you all for attending our TED talk today. <laughs> sorry. That's the end. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. seriously ramble so much. I am so sorry. I just get from one tangent to the next
0: in my head. No, I mean this is this is good. I love it. It's there's a lot to work with here. Okay. Um, I think that it's clear that you come to this work that you do with a great deal of passion but also love and a sense of responsibility and i always have thought that anybody that's that's trying to make an impact in the world whether it be through a small way or in a big direct impact whatever it is you have to come to that work with a lot of love in your heart because we're talking about the the extremely difficult work of trying to oftentimes change hearts and minds, right? So you talked about in your last film, your most recent one, that it's it's personal. Right? It's more about you and, and your own history and how you relate to it. And uh, in the context of this modern world, the current state, I would imagine of, of Islamophobia that we have going on.
1: Yeah.
0: What is it? How? what was the process like for you or what was the thing that made you make the decision to, to put it out there? Because to your point, you could keep it for yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm very critical of my work and uh, I made it this summer. It's a very short film and it's not online anywhere because I'm submitting it to places. But there was this, a moment where I was like, should I even submit it? Should I even Do I want this to be out there? Because I don't, I didn't really, it just turned out a a way that I didn't expect. Um, But the response of my, my parents, the response of my, some of my close friends, they really made me realize that it's a, it's a, it's a voice that's not really heard. Like for me, I was critical of it because it's in my head. I had a way I wanted it to turn out in my head and it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. But for them, they had they didn't know what to expect. It was the first time seeing it. And um, as scary as it is to put myself out there, I think why not try? Like why not just give this give it my all Um, And especially, I think, uh, the film changed a little bit because I ended up using, like, actual sound bites from politicians in the narrative. Uh, And, like, it was scaringly very easy to find politicians from across the world saying the most racist, disgusting, Islamophobic, just, like, racist things And I had so much audio that I could use and video that I could use. And it was so disgusting to me that I was like, there's no way I can let this sit here. Like there's no way I can just like make this film and then just let it sit on my computer forever. And I did do that with a film I made a couple years ago. I made it and I didn't release it until like a year and a half later because I hated it so much. Um, And and when I finally released it, uh, a couple months after that, it was selected to play at the MoMA in New York. So I was like, this film that I thought was so bad, and it's not the best film, it's not my favorite film I've ever done, but it, it connected with someone to the point where I was able to screen somewhere, and I got responses that were so beautiful, and this one, this one young girl told me it made her feel, it was about mental health, and dealing with like hallucinations and dreams and stuff, and this Is one this girl the- told her- Paul? yes it
0: fall uh i watched it this morning by the way and i thought it was really good <laughs> oh, no. I, mean, granted, I don't know anything about like film other than i know what i like and i liked it so. <laughs> it's, a <weird laughs> film. it's a
1: weird film but um there was a girl that messaged me on twitter and she said she she wrote she she screen grabbed parts of the film and said this is exactly how i felt when i was going through my, like, uh, she, she called it um, uh, disassociation. She said, it, it, this is exactly how I felt when I was experiencing this disassociation with my mental health and all these things. And I had never considered that when I was making the film. I wasn't thinking about disassociation or with the symptoms of certain medical conditions. But the fact that I made this weird film and it connected to someone on such a deep level, it really impacted me and it really meant it made me realize that being critical of myself is constructive sometimes, but it's also inhibiting me from reaching people that need it. And um, I think when I made this film this summer that was far more political than anything done before, the reason why I ultimately decided to like give it a go and submit it to places is because... I don't know, the political system in this country makes me feel like I'm living in this, like, dark timeline that I just can't get, like, it just feels like a surreal nightmare sometimes with everything that the president is saying and, like, it's just absurd. And I didn't want to sit and do nothing. And if my form of activism against that is making a little film, then that's what I'm going to do. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's far easier to sit in my fear and criticism and just let that take over and i'm trying to work past that and i think that's my form of like trying to work past that is just putting it out there being okay with it not being perfect being okay with my growth as a filmmaker as an artist and yeah i mean even if it doesn't get into any festivals, I'm still going to put it online and hopefully mm-hmm. have it circulate with my friends and my family and um, just have my effort mean something. But it's also not an end all be all. If it doesn't get in anywhere, it doesn't mean it's a failure. It just means mm-hmm. it's, it's going to exist in a different realm. And I think that's a, something a lot of artists struggle with. I think if you don't get into a certain f- film festival, it's like you're not a good enough filmmaker or you're a failure. and Um, I'm trying to work my way past that narrative and just have my art exist for itself and for me, because ultimately that's who I'm making it for. It's for me and it's for
0: whoever wants to see it. So do you consider yourself an activist?
1: Sometimes. I mean, yes, I want to say yes, but we talked about this before we started rolling and I feel Mm -hmm. like imposter syndrome is something That's like, I feel so deeply and it's so unfortunate because I feel it in like every aspect of my life sometimes. Um, And I mentioned to you that like, I don't know why, like part of me feels like I'm not good enough to even be on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But I do think, I do think there's something to be, that's, there's a, there's something true about just existing as a woman of color as a form of activism. Um, So I do think I'm an activist just by existing and having my podcast that deals with really politically like tense subjects and standing up for the Syrians and standing up for the Palestinians and standing up for things that really matter to me. I do think I'm an activist in that way. I think I'm an advocate for mental health. I think I'm an advocate for feminism, um, but it's not something I'll put in my like Instagram bio. You know what I mean? Like, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm an activist that my work, my, that, that can be seen through my work. I'm not someone that is going to wear a shirt that says activist on it. I'm just, I want my Mm -hmm. work to speak for itself. And the people that know my work know I'm an activist. I'm just not very vocal about certain labels for myself because I think that puts undue pressure on me as a person mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am an activist, but it's not gonna be on the bio anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, does that make sense? I, I mean, it's, a, it's an yeah. important word, though. I think it's an important word, and we should be empowered with it. Um, and I do, do think being an activist, it's different for everybody. It's different for everyone as far as, like, how they present their activism, whether it's going to a rally or whether it's, uh, I don't know, like, writing an article on, on a news blog or whatever. I think there are forms of activism that are more obvious. But as an artist, I think activism is far more dimensional and layered and complicated because you want your work to matter and the audience that it matters to hopefully see that.
0: that make sense? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just yeah, it does. I think yeah. No, I think the word activism is a tough one. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I've only really started to explore sort of this title of activism and advocacy and storytelling myself because people have been in the last year been throwing those words at me and using them to describe this podcast. And I'm like, that's great. Um, I'm, I'm actually very flattered that you would use those words.
1: Yeah. It's Um, very flattering.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, but I think I've always traditionally thought of activism as a direct action. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the marching in the street. Yeah. It's the going out there and getting the petition signed. It's holding the sign. It's, it's using, I always thought of activism as a physical act
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, where you're like literally putting your body in spaces that could be dangerous to stand up for something and those activists exist and what they do is deeply important and it's it's not what I'm doing I'm not I'm not doing I'm not using my body in that way to like put myself in front of the tank or whatever um so I have a deep respect for activists that are out there doing that I've only recently really started to think through like, well, what is that multi-layered idea of activism? And and until people like, you know, like you were saying, until people started saying, oh, well, you're an advocate and what you're doing with your podcast is a, is a form of activism. I was like, what do you mean by that? (laughs) Can you explain (laughs) some more? It's just something I never really thought of. So I think that it's, um, it's a, a word to be explored, I think, and, and really figure out what does that mean for you as a storyteller Mm -hmm. to create this work that exists in an artistic space, but also exists in this political space. And can it be both? Is it one or the other? What is it exactly?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think,
0: I think it's, it's,
1: that's tricky. It's tricky because, I think that's why I skirted the idea of addressing my ethnicity or religion or lack of religion even because it's like, I don't know what I believe in now, but even that in itself, like I'm not a good enough Muslim, I'm not a good enough Syrian and I'm good enough anything. So I think that's why I skirted around the idea of having my art exist in those two places because there is an artistic side and there is a political side just because the average person will look at you and immediately think everything you do has a political or activist motivation and mm-hmm. I love being an advocate for things that matter to me but I do think there's There's something to be said about being an activist by default and mm-hmm. Everything you do ha- having a layer of activism whether you like it or not um, It's a lot of pressure um, But it's also a privilege. It's just um I think I think there's. I, I look at my peers that are maybe white or maybe just more ethnically like uh not not very tied to not very obviously tied to a certain background, and they have so much artistic freedom that I maybe I maybe I'm projecting, but it seems like they have more arti- artistic freedom as far as what they can express, and I think that's the only thing that kind of makes me nervous is that am I only able to talk about these things? as a Syrian woman of color? Am I not gonna be able to like, like I've never made a film really about like dating or like, <laughs> or I've never written a poetry or, or poem about, uh, I don't know, like something that wasn't in my experience. But I think like the average white guy he writes films about everything. He writes films about women. He writes films about people of color. Like, look at Quentin Tarantino. He wrote a film like Jackie Brown, and like, it's just like, Gendo, like there's there's yeah. A level yeah exactly. There's like there's a level a level of like both entitlement but also freedom as a person mm-hmm. because you're because you're 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 the default. You're the default man. You're the, you're like you're able to do anything because there you're just like the prototype of human. <laughs> and then we're us, and it feels like we're limited. And I think that's what scares me with that ex- expectation. Um, it's like we're not able to fuck up or we're not able to be funny or we're not able to be to have layers to our personality. Um, that's what makes me nervous, but I don't think it's completely true all the time. I think people will put us in boxes, and those people just need to maybe be a little bit more aware. Um The people that put us in boxes, I think, are people that are maybe not like us. Like, I think you and I see each other as multidimensional human beings because we can relate to that. But I think Mm -hmm. from the outside, maybe a white guy is just like looking at us being like, they're just talking about feminism and they're just talking about being (laughs) (laughs) mad. Like, so I think... The people that really want to hear our message and know us as people, those those that's the audience I'm interested in. The audience that mm-hmm. really connects with you as human beings. And I think that's what makes a good podcast host. I think the audience that can connect with you, they're there for you, not just for the material. I think that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast now. Um, and even in the beginning, it's just being more vulnerable and being more Um, having the audience interested in who my co-host and I are as human beings and then the material, because I'm not always going to have something newsworthy to talk about. Um, But hopefully they'll stick around for me and hopefully they'll stick around for what I have to say about other things. So making people care about who you are as a human being and then the the things that you have to offer, I think that's important as a podcast host because, because it's not, I mean, it's kind of like making yourself the show. But it's a form of intimacy that I think only podcasting really has. Because uh, mm-hmm. you're in these people's ears every week, maybe twice a week. And there's a level, a level of bonding there that's really deep. Um, and, and I think presenting yourself as a whole, a whole person and uh, not just presenting like a book report every time I have the podcast. Um, and having my own touches as far as my jokes go or as far as the, the way I mispronounce certain words or whatever, or my own call, like my, I don't know, like English is like a language and everything. Like I think, I think having all those things not set me back or making me afraid of saying the wrong thing and more just like define how I, how I am. I think that's important if that makes sense. I think it's um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: being true to yourself and your voice and not trying to put on a front for the sake of the content. Uh, Because ultimately the audience that matters will stay and the audience that Mm -hmm. expects something from you that you're not delivering, they're not actually there for you. Um, Mm -hmm. They expect you to do this one thing all the time and that's not who we are. We do so many things, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What is the impact you hope to have with your work?
1: I mean, I touched on this briefly but I want people to feel less alone. People that are struggling. People that are othered. I want my work to to happen to to matter to people that were that felt like me when I was a kid. Um, I don't think it's always going to be this artistic revel like revelation every time, but um, there's. I want it to at least, if even if only one person can connect with it and feel less alone, I think that's enough. I think, I think all you need is that one that one source of of connection, and it all makes sense, and it all has a purpose. Um, there's, it, it's it's. I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's It feels so, like, what's the word? It feels so, like, uh, narcissistic to even think about, like, how people can respond to my work. But that's even just showing, like, how inse- how insecurity breeds itself as, like, a person of color. But, um, but I do want my work to matter, and I do want my work to unify people and just make them feel less alone. I think something that's drives a lot of my work is my mental health and struggling with depression and different kinds of disorders and everything. And I think, uh, though, I think you I think mental health makes you feel so isolated and, um, especially from a uh, family of color and family of immigrants, it's not really addressed as like a real issue. And I'm glad that the conversation is, is expanding now, but my work, I I think can hopefully provide an insight into my struggles that hopefully can resonate with someone else. And I want it to not only be serious, but I have a a very self-deprecating sense of humor and I have um, funny stories I like to tell. And I think I I love performing and I love making art and I think um, being able to connect with people because of my vulnerability is really beautiful and I wanna like embrace that and make me, and and it's made me realize that connecting through vulnerability touches people in a way that I didn't expect because it makes them feel seen. And if that's the one thing my work can do is making someone feel seen and making someone feel less alone, then I've accomplished everything i set out to do. Especially if that person is like a young Middle Eastern girl because um, <laughs> Because that's, like, I see myself in that, and I I remember how alone I felt. I remember how strange I felt my whole life. There's there's an element of alienness that is so unique to us. And I just want to connect. I want to, I want my work to connect the aliens of the world and just, like, take them back to the mothership, you know? Just, like...
0: We're good, man. Mm-hmm. Like we're in this <laughs> we're <a> good man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, for any if for some reason this podcast gets into the hands of of a young impressionable girl somewhere, and mm-hmm. she's othered in some way, or happens to be of Middle Eastern descent, or an immigrant that just got to this country and has some interest in filmmaking or writing or getting into the arts as a career where would you advise her to go to get started
1: I mean I wouldn't like this answer if I was if I was talking to myself but I would just, just start making stuff just you have to start making mm-hmm. stuff and not expect it to blow up and become viral um I really think making stuff for yourself is so important and it's so encouraging as an artist to get joy out of of the act of creating itself, not necessarily the validation or affirmation of someone saying, like, good job, good job, good job, or, like, I love this or whatever. Um, So I would just say you have to start making films. You have to start writing. You have to start physically doing things, even with the limited resources you have. Just start making little projects and see what you like about it, see what you don't like about it, and go from there. I think I think there is an element of like, once you start making stuff, you have to put yourself out there if that's what you want to do. And so mm-hmm. make things, put it out there, uh, claim your voice, embrace the term like filmmaker and director, because that was really hard for me to do for a long time, even calling myself a filmmaker, even calling myself a poet or an artist. It felt so fraudulent <laughs> to say those things. Mm-hmm. But I think once you put yourself out there and you're making things, you have to claim that title and say, like, don't... When you introduce yourself, this is something I had to get over. just like, I'm trying to make films. I'm trying to be a filmmaker. It's like, no, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a director. I'm this, I'm this. This is my identity. And it's important to me because the more I say it out loud, the more it's true for me. Um, so my main... My main sources of advice, I guess, are just make things, put it out there, be fearless, claim these, claim what makes you feel alive, um, and try to, try your best to find a community that really helps you, because you don't make, the best films are made with collaboration, and um, I would never have been able to make anything if it wasn't for good collaborators and good friends that were able to give give me their time for either free or really cheap and so um really embracing a support system asking for help and not being afraid to ask for help um, it's really daunting and scary but but it's possible and the people that matter will be there for you um, and this is coming from someone that does a lot of stuff on my own i'm like independent to a fault Uh, and so it's very hard for me to ask for help, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. but when I do, it's, it always turns out great. Like it always turns out fine and people are willing to help you and people are, um, they're, they're down to collaborate and they're down to make art. Uh, so make stuff, put it out there, embrace your title and, uh, try your hardest to have good collaborators around you because you guys can just help each other grow. Um -hmm. yeah. Yeah.
0: I think I'm working on all these things.
1: (laughs) I mean I'm working (laughs) on all these things myself. It's not I'm I'm nowhere near uh I haven't really fully grasped all of those things yet. And like um it's it's definitely hard, especially I'm in LA and being in LA surrounded by so many creative people, it's pretty intimidating honestly sometimes. You're surrounded by people that are younger than you or maybe more connected or have family in the industry. And then there's you. You're just like, why do I matter here? Like, what am I doing here? And you have to remind yourself to like talk yourself out of that hole and be like, there's no one else like me. There's no one else doing what Mm -hmm. we're doing. And that's why it's important because there's one you and that's the voice that matters. So I think Mm -hmm. that's why I really love personal work is because that person is the only one that can do that. Like sure, I can write a film about some white guy in Utah or something, but I don't know about that life. I know about my life, and I know about the the eccentricities of my brain or whatever that word is. I just that I probably mispronounced. But like, I, I, I I think that's why personal work is so beautiful because it feels personal and isolating to you, and when you put it out there, has this ability to just like open up and connect and That's what I felt like with the podcast. That's what I felt like with Mm -hmm. my films. So um, I think if if there's a word that I'd love to emulate with my work and hopefully to inspire people to be, it's fearless. And Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that all the time. I'm pretty fearful (laughs) about a lot of things. But I try my hardest to be fearless and to have people remember me as someone that wasn't afraid to put herself out there um mm-hmm. so as someone who's starting out just you can't be afraid you have to let all that go um because fear is just it's just so debilitating
0: especially as an artist um so i think it's really really great advice really like, sorry I'm <laughs> really good advice i know you no no it was this is good stuff <laughs> you're definitely an artist I've noticed a difference between you know when I interview someone who comes from an artistic background or is in you know an artistic space versus someone who's like a lawyer or a CEO of something like such a different conversation but
1: it's so (laughs) annoying so like hippie and like like oh namaste I don't know
0: it's not uh, no. rambling, it's <laughs> real. And that's, that's what we do on the show. We do real. So yeah. I thank you, Sherry, for joining us on season four of the show. I'm so thrilled that you were able to be here and, and just talk us through how you think about your work, why you do your work, and this idea of the intersection between story and activism. Um, and I may be the only person in the world that's fascinated by that intersection. Um, so, but no, here we I, are. I, We're gonna do the show anyway.
1: <laughs> I I love what you're doing with the show. I think it's so important. I can't wait to listen to the other guests that you're gonna have on. I'm just so I'm so fascinated by this idea that we are activists by default. We can't help it mm-hmm. for and so I think embracing that is a beautiful thing. Um, so I really do thank you for thinking of me and for having me on the show. And uh, I'm glad that we connected back in the summer because it's honestly crazy. Like you never know who you're gonna brush shoulders with, or like make eye contact with, or speak certain things yeah. to, uh, and have it last. So it's a beautiful thing. Podcasting can be beautiful and connecting people. <laughs> um, so Absolutely. I really thank you. Thank you for making me feel, um, making me feel like valid as a human being, and making me feel like worth talking to. So. Thank you
0: so much. Definitely worth it. I hope you found this time valuable as well. Really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, We're going to call it here, folks. (laughs) Bye! Make sure you check out Shireen. I will leave links in the show notes for you um, for all the places that you can learn more about Shireen and her work. And on the internet, I did watch your movie Fall from 2018. It's a short uh so I'm going to recommend it. I'll link it to the notes and it's this really interesting short story about a young woman who is questioning her mental health and you can't really tell in the beginning like is she having a mental breakdown or is there's is, is the world just crazy and she's having a rough day yeah. you don't know.
1: <laughs> exactly. Is the world crazy or are you crazy? Stay
0: tuned. Yes. So that film that you thought was crap, I thought was really good. And I don't really know anything about mental health. Well, (laughs) I really
1: appreciate that. Um, Should I
0: should I like plug
1: my socials in, or should I, or do you want to just do that in your description? Yes,
0: go. (laughs) I'm lovely.
1: Um, I'm on Instagram. If you guys want to follow me, I'm Shiro Hero. S H E E R O H E R O. And on Twitter, I'm Shiro Hero six 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 um I have a book on Amazon of my first collection of poetry. It's called Dime Piece. D I M E P I E C E. Can I spell? Um, but it's, uh, it's my first collection of poetry. I'm working on my next one. I'm about 60 pages into my next one. But my first one, it's 10 years of poetry since I was 16 to 26. So if you guys want to look at my weird workings in my brain, check it out. And yeah,
0: that's me. All right. Thank you so much, Shireen, again, for being on the show. Really loved having you. Folks, make sure you check out Shireen and all her social media places, and we will link to her website and films as well for you. Until next time, go be great, but we're out. Yeah.